visiting with us. We're especially glad you're here and hope that we'll have a little bit of an opportunity before you leave to speak with you and visit a little bit uh, personally before you have to go. If you will this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start there. We're going to stay there very long, but that'll be our starting place this morning. While you're turning over there, I'll mention uh, a couple of things. Uh, If you missed Mother's Day or Father's Day this year, I was told today is Parents' Day. So uh, you get a second chance in life sometimes. And so if you miss those days, maybe you can take advantage of Parents' Day. Or even if you did remember Mother's Day and Father's Day, you can still take advantage of Parents' Day. But anyway, one serious announcement that I'll make. uh, It's this Saturday, this coming Saturday, that Brother Broadwell is going to be with us. And uh, we'll meet at 10 o'clock. It'll be our teen Bible study. Meet at 10 o'clock and then uh, again at 11 o'clock and then in the afternoon as well. So three sessions on Saturday uh, he's going to be talking about as we've advertised uh, the use of social media and a biblical look at that, a biblical perspective. That's a huge issue these days and so it's very timely. We want to encourage all of our young people to be here and we hope that uh, we'll have some others come and visit with us as well. But primarily we hope that our young people will be here. We, We want to take advantage of this opportunity. Hebrews is written to Christians who seems are in danger of falling away is the terminology used in Hebrews chapter 6 or drifting away Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 he says uh, we're not of those who shrink back to destruction and so uh, the first readers of the book of Hebrews were apparently in danger of doing that shrinking back or falling away or drifting away. And so the writer writes to encourage them to hold fast. Hebrews 10 verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And so hold on, be be patient or endure. You can see that down in verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 10. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And so Don't fall away. Don't shrink back. Don't drift away. Hold on. Hold fast. Endure. And uh, don't give in. In verse 39 of chapter 10, we find in the last part of that, he says, We have confidence that you are of those who have faith to the saving of the soul or the preserving of the soul. What exactly is faith to the saving of the soul? What, What is that faith like? Uh, How would that faith respond? Well, that leads us into chapter 11, doesn't it? And so we have a series of examples of men and women who have faith to the saving of the soul. Men like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and others. In fact, if you get down at the end of chapter 11, we come to a passage that is written in such lofty, uh, such a lofty way, it, it's almost poetry, isn't it? As, uh, as we begin in, in verse 33. These men and women who by faith conquered kingdoms, uh, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So the, the writer here simply alludes to these people, not, not by name, so much as by what they did. And we can pick out some of the references here. For example, uh, we've read about someone who shut the mouths of lions. Well, that's, that's Daniel, isn't it? And women who receive back their dead by resurrection. There are two women in the Old Testament, the widow of Zarephath, a Shunammite woman, whose sons were raised from the dead and, and restored to them. There's a story in the second century BC, it's contained in the, one of the books of Maccabees, about a man named Eliezer who was tortured on the rack for his faith. Tradition tells us that Jeremiah was stoned and that Isaiah was sawn in two with a wooden sword, a wooden saw. That'd be a terrible death, wouldn't it? And so these men and women were people of such great devotion and faithfulness and commitment to moral excellence, to godliness. They are really suited for a better, righteous world to live in. And so the writer says, this world, with its corruption and immorality, was not worthy of their presence, <laughs> of whom the world was not worthy. And so these are great men and women of faith. He refers in verse 34 up here on the screen, if you can find verse 34, to those who quenched the power of fire. Now we, we can identify them as well, can't we? That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's really who we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about those who quench the power of fire. And so let's go back to the book of Daniel, to Daniel chapter 3, and let's think about these men and their experience and what we might learn from that experience, what we might uh, find uh, applicable to our lives as well. In my judgment, whatever that's worth, which is not a whole lot, it's one of the most inspiring stories in all the Bible, contains one of the most inspirational comments in, in all of Scripture. I hope to bring that out as we go along. So Daniel chapter 3, we'll really begin in Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, the Babylonians come into Judah and they take the Jews into captivity. They take them out of their homeland and they transplant them into into Babylon. And so these three, or these four, we had about four men here in chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends, they're taken into Babylonian captivity. Now these, these four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were a group of talented young men chosen to learn the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And you see that in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And so these men, very talented, they're highly intelligent, lots of skill, lots of potential. And so these men were separated from the others, and they're going to be trained to serve in the king's court. And so these are men of high intelligence, a lot of ability, a lot of skill, and we're going to teach them the Babylonian culture, the Babylonian ways, 
and they're going to serve in the court of the king. And that might have been a, a political strategy on the part of Nebuchadnezzar and others. If the Jews in captivity knew that they had people in the government, their own people in the government, who would voice their concerns, who would represent them, perhaps the Jews in captivity would be more cooperative with uh, their, um, the Babylonians whom they served. They were probably teenagers at the time. Uh, Daniel lives throughout the captivity. Uh, when he's put into the lion's den, it's on the other side of the captivity, 70 years later. And so he must have been a young person at this time, maybe even 15, 16 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood, although we don't know exactly how old they were. They were young men. And they learned their lessons very well. Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And so these men were, they're at the top of the class. They're excelling. God is giving them wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And they're distinguishing themselves even among uh, the others who are, are highly skilled and intelligent and have lots of potential. Now in Daniel chapter 2, we read about Daniel interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to go through that whole story. But because he's able to do that, Daniel is given a privileged position. And at the end of chapter 2, verse 40, he says, He made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. And so... Daniel is given this privileged position, and, and one of the first things he seems to do is, I would like to have these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fellow Jews, friends of Daniel, I would like to have them appointed to a position of importance as well, and so, and so they are. And so all four of these men, again, have distinguished themselves, and they're serving at a very high level in the court of the king, in the Babylonian government. Well, that takes us to, to chapter 3. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar, he's a vain man. <laughs> he, he's a proud man, and he thinks a lot of himself. We know that from chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 3, we read about him, him erecting a huge statue, uh, about 90 feet high, according to my calculation, 60 cubits. If a cubit is a foot and a half, that's 90 feet high. And so, and so this is about, I think this building is about 30 feet or so. And so just think about how tall that, that statue must have been. And he commands everybody to bow down and worship the statue. And so let's read about that a little bit. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king had made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and it's width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And then all these people came, the next verse tells us, they assembled for the dedication of the image, they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so here's this big crowd of people standing in front of the image. And verse 4 says, The herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. And that would include the Jews who were there, Daniel and Shadrach, and Meshach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego. 
At the moment you hear the sound of these instruments, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace of blazing fire. So here's the image that, De that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. He calls all the people, you come for the dedication of the image. Now at the sound of the instruments, at the sound of the music, everybody fall down and worship the image. Now that's a problem <laughs> for Daniel, Shadrach, and a, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, you see, they're Jews. They're faithful Jews. And the law of Moses is very plain. The Ten Commandments are very clear. God says, do not make any idols or graven images. Do not worship them or serve them. That's very clear. <laughs> do not bow down. Do not do the very thing that Nebuchadnezzar is commanding you to do. And so that's, that's conflict, isn't it? Well, we read in the next verse, verse 7, that when the music began to play, the peoples and nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And so everybody did except these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we learn that as we go further into the story. In verse 8, what happens is there's a group of Chaldeans, there's a group of, of Babylonians, some, some noblemen uh, among the Babylonians, some men of importance and high standing in, in the community. They come to Nebuchadnezzar, and we say they tattle on them. They tell on them. Or when I say they name names, listen to, to what they say. They remind Nebuchadnezzar that, 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 that you... Now you, O king, you have established a law, have given a command that everyone should bow down and worship this image. And so you can see that in, in, the, in verse 8 and following. And you have said, not, not just anybody in the government, but, but you said, whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. But there are certain Jews. You can almost hear the contempt in those words, can't you? There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you've set up. We had a, a children's book that, that we would read to our, our children when they were young, and it contained this story, and it was illustrated. And I guess I never had really thought of it in these terms, but, but one of the pictures shows the great image, the crowd of people, they're all bowing down, except there are three men out in the crowd, they're standing up. <laughs> you know? they, they didn't bow down. How, how conspicuous that would be. So they, these Chaldeans, they, they knew that, and, and so they go to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, there's some Jews among us. They've disregarded you, and they've disobeyed your command. The Bible tells us in verse 13 then that Nebuchadnezzar was enraged by that. He was angry at that and he gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men, bring them to me. And so, and so they do bring those three to, to the king and he decides to give them another chance. 
We're gonna, I'm going to give you another opportunity. He says, beginning here in, in verse 15, let's back up a little, get verse 14. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, 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 now if you're ready, at the moment you hear the instruments play, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very, very well. We'll, we'll forget about what you've done. I'll give you another chance. And, and if this time, if you fall down and worship, okay, we'll, we'll just, we'll be okay with it. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And then look at this statement. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That's a pretty arrogant statement, isn't it? <laughs> what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? And the implication, of course, is there, there is none. Now here's the, here's the most inspirational statement I talked about earlier, beginning in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, that is, if, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Well, we, we don't need to think about this. We already know what the answer is. We are not going to serve your God. You can throw us in the fiery furnace if you'd like, but our God will save us. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship. So that's, that's inspirational, isn't it? That, that gives you chills just about when you think about it and read it. A statement of faith, our God is able. An expression of confidence. Remember James says, we must ask in faith, nothing doubting. Well, here you can see that in these men, don't you? They, they have faith in God's ability to deliver them and they, they sure have no doubts about it. They recognize that God may not rescue them. Now, God doesn't rescue everybody who comes under trial. And, and it may be that He chooses not to rescue us, they say. But even if He doesn't, the statement of resolve, we're not going to bow down. Is it any wonder that the Hebrews writer says, these are men of whom the world is not worthy? Well, as the story unfolds, they don't bow down. And they are thrown into the fiery furnace. Verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. They, they were bound. They were tied up. The furnace was heated seven times hotter than normal. It was so hot, in fact, that the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put them into the fiery furnace. They were killed because it was so hot. But Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego don't suffer any injury, whatever. Not only are they not killed, they're, they're not injured by it. Let's read verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, stood up in haste. He said to his officials, Now was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like... A son of the gods. The King James says, the son of God. Did Nebuchadnezzar come to believe that this was the second person of the Godhead, the son of God? Probably not. But he did know this is a divine being. 
It's not an ordinary human being. A little bit later, he refers to him as an angel. But, but there's something different about this fourth person. He's, he's otherworldly. And so verse 26, he tells these three to come out. And they came out of the midst of the fire. Verse 27, the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothing w- w- wasn't damaged. They didn't even smell like smoke. And listen to Nebuchadnezzar's response. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. What, what a change of attitude. On the one hand, before they were thrown in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, well, who is the God that can save you from my hand? Well, he learned, didn't he? There is no God like their God who can deliver the way these have been delivered. Well, that's, we, we could close it down right now. I think we've ins- been inspired to, to carry out our faith, but let's draw out a few, a few applications. Be strong and courageous. In, in the face of trial, and trial comes to all of us, be strong. Be, be courageous. God continually and repeatedly tells His people, Do not be afraid. I am with you. Be strong. Be courageous. I think of Joshua chapter 1 whenever I think about this statement. Joshua is going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He's going to face a lot of hardship, a lot of challenges, a lot of of enemy uh, people as he goes into the land. And God tells him, now I'm going to be with you. No one is going to be able to stand before you. Be strong and courageous. You shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Similar thing is said in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31. As the the people of Israel, this time addressed to the people in general... He says, it is the Lord your God who who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you. You shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is with you. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 18 and all of this. In Acts chapter 18, Paul's in the city of Corinth. And he's he's preaching there and the word is having some success. But in verse 9 it says, The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, "Don't, Don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I'm with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. I have many people in this city. I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul 
encourages the Ephesians, he says, to, to pray for me. As I go out and preach the gospel, I want you to pray for me that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, we don't think of Paul as someone who's timid or afraid or hesitant to speak out, but I, I need your prayers that I'm gonna, I'll speak boldly. He's in a city like Corinth where he's challenged, maybe even aggressively and violently challenged, and the Lord assures him, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Be strong, be courageous, be bold in your proclamation of the gospel. If Paul needs that kind of reassurance, I need it, and, and all of us need it as well. Sometimes it takes courage to stand for the Lord and our faith. Even today, even in our environment, even in our circumstances, sometimes it takes courage to stand. Now, Peter found that out, didn't he? You know, he was pressed as Jesus was on trial. He was pressed by those sitting around him, sitting at the fire. And, oh, you're one of his disciples. You remember, on that occasion, now later on, of course, he had the resolve and the determination to stand, but on that occasion, he didn't. Peter found out, sometimes it takes some courage to stand. Our faith may distinguish us from most, uh, most others in certain situations. We're, we're in a group of people or we're surrounded by others who don't share our faith, who don't share our commitment. And we're in the minority at best sometimes. Maybe we're the only one who uh, believes the way we believe. And we're put under pressure. Maybe the pressure is unspoken, but it's still there. It, it takes some courage. Our commitments to godliness will create a clear distinction between us and others. We'll dress differently from others. Our speech will be different from others. What we eat and drink may be different from others. And we'll be conspicuous. We'll stand out. People will see. Well, you're not like us. And it may take some courage then to, to stand. There may be consequences to standing. We may face ridicule or rejection. You ever maybe in school want to be a part of a group and here, 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 here's a group of people and, and they're, they're popular and they're thought very highly of and man, I sure would be like to, like to be a part of that group. But see, our commitment to godliness and, and, and a holy lifestyle makes that impossible. <laughs> and so we're met with rejection and we're met with ridicule. We don't like that. We don't like to be rejected. We don't like to be singled out. But it takes some courage under those circumstances to stand. Be strong. Be courageous. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we can do it. You can do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. Find some good friends who will help you be strong. You know, evil companions corrupt good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companions corrupt good morals. But, you know, good companions, they reinforce good morals. They strengthen good morals. It may be that these three would have stood alone. And I imagine that they would have. If Shadrach were, you know, if he, if he had to stand alone, he probably would have stood alone. I, I imagine he would have. But sure does help to have some other people with you, doesn't it? To encourage you and to support you and to inspire you to do what we need to do. 
Sometimes we might be called upon to stand alone. Dan Daniel did. Daniel and the lion's den. Remember that story? Stood alone. But if we can find a few like-minded friends, that'll help us. Maybe, maybe just one. Sometimes maybe just one. Like-minded friend that'll support us and encourage us, that we can lean on. Well, it sure will help us tremendously. Go back to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll read a few verses, beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. And how can one be warm alone? If, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As iron sharpens iron... <laughs> So one man sharpens, strengthens another. Those who walk with wise men will be wise. In Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus sends out His disciples to teach in, in pairs, two by two. Not just a matter of convenience, I'm sure. But so they can encourage each other and support each other as they go about preaching the gospel it's not simply coincidence or convenience that Paul traveled usually with a group of other preachers. They can encourage each other and strengthen each other. And so find a good friend, a like-minded friend, someone who has the same biblical values, the same commitments, the same priorities. I'm not saying we can't have non-Christian friends. It's interesting in Acts chapter 19, verse 31, it specifically said that Paul had friends among the Asiarchs. So Paul had some non-Christian friends. Well, we need to find some like-minded friends, some friends of faith, some friends of commitment, some friends that share the same values and priorities, just like we do, who can help us in the time of trial. And that's especially true of a spouse, isn't it? If you're looking for someone to marry, find a good friend, a spouse who's like-minded, who shares the commitment and the priorities and the values that you have as a faithful Christian. You're going to need each other. It's going to be difficult at times. You're going to need a friend who will support you and encourage you. And so that would be a good choice, wouldn't it, to find a faithful Christian who can encourage you. The third application I'll draw out is simply this. It's taken from their comment in Daniel chapter 3 that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Our God is able. You know, that's, well, what, that's a reassuring observation, isn't it? Our God is able. Strong belief that God is able to provide what we need or help us stand strong in trial. Whatever that need is, in their case, it was, it was preservation from the fiery furnace. In our, in our situation, it might be something else. But whatever we need to stand strong, God is able to provide it. And so just remember that. Our God is able to preserve us. Now, this idea is repeated throughout the Scriptures. I want to look at a couple of those places. Romans Chapter 4 and verse 21, for example, in talking about God's promise to Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son and their descendants would become a great nation. Verse 21 says, Abraham was fully assured 
that what God had promised, He was able to perform. God was able to fulfill the promise. Now, it looked kind of uncertain at times. God made a promise to Abraham, and it was 25 years later that it, it came to pass. We see, Abraham believed that, that God is able to perform what He promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And then you may have thought of running ahead of me a little bit. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works in him, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Here is a God who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think. Never forget it. God is able. When, when it's the darkest, when it's the most difficult, when the challenge is great, and we wonder, how in the world am I going to persevere through this? Remember these three words. God is able. And He can provide whatever it is we need. Whatever it is that we need. As Paul says, His grace, grace will be sufficient for us. And so, don't fear, don't become discouraged. Remember that God is able. And then finally, standing strong, if we stand strong, that may bring others to faith as well. You remember the words of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of all this? After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace, we read that a moment ago, beginning in verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and, and delivered them. Now, did Nebuchadnezzar become uh, a, a genuine, sincere, lifelong worshiper of Jehovah, the God of heaven, the God of Israel? I, I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty strong confession for a man like Nebuchadnezzar to make, though, isn't it? Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He makes a similar statement over in chapter 6, when Daniel comes out of the lion's den. He says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to, be, are to fear and tremble before God of Daniel. He is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who's also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so the king, Nebuchadnezzar, become a believer and confess, confesses God in, in this way. And so it may very well be that when we stand strong and when we're consistent in that stand, we don't make compromises, we don't yield, we stand strong. That others are watching, and it has an impact on them as well. Now, not everybody's going to appreciate our strong tr stand for truth, and some will malign us. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus warns us about being persecuted for His name's sake. We, we understand that that may very well happen. But there will be some who will appreciate it. So our stand for truth may even move some to come to the Lord themselves. Remember Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before men, so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't hide your light under a bushel. 
Let your light shine. Now we're not doing it in order to be seen of men and receive praise from men, but if we're letting our light shine and others see that and are drawn to God themselves, well, that, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Peter makes the same appeal over in 1 Peter chapter 3 as he talks to wives whose husbands are not Christians. He, say that, he says that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your husband's not a Christian. What's the best thing you can do? Live out your faith and the commitment that you've made to Christ. Live that out every day consistently. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Maybe over time as your husband sees that or your non-Christian wife sees that, they will come to confess the Lord as well. You want to know how to reach somebody with the gospel? How, how can I reach my coworkers with the gospel? How, how can I reach my friends at school with the gospel? How can I reach my family or my neighbor? Well, well, well here's one way. Be consistent in your behavior. Let your light shine in your conduct. And others will see that. Not everybody will appreciate it. But some may be influenced by it for good. Like Nebuchadnezzar was. They, he saw their faith. And he came to confess the power of God. Today's lesson is very simple, isn't it? It's a, a lesson of encouragement. We're going to face difficult times. We're going to face challenges. When we're at school, we're, we're, going, we're going to face those who don't appreciate our faith and our commitments. At, at work, we're going to face the same thing. In our neighborhood, our family, we're going to face the same thing. We're going to face challenges. Be strong. Be courageous. God is able to deliver, and, and He will. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together and to study from your word, to encourage each other, to praise you, and uh, bestow upon you our, our devotion. You're worthy of all expressions of praise uh, that, uh, that we're able to give. We're thankful for your word, Father. We're thankful that it inspires us to be the kind of people that you would be. Help us, Father, help us to be strong and courageous in times of trial. Help us, Father, to cultivate friendships that will help us and encourage us and support us in those times. Help us to look to you, that understand that you are able to deliver, that you will provide us with what we need to stand strong. And Father, we pray for those who are watching. We pray that through our influence, what we say and what we do, and perhaps through our example, they will come to confess you as the true and living God. And so, Father, we pray as we go through this week, as we face the prospect of going through this week, that we will be strong, that we will be courageous, and that we will always consistently stand for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here today and you're not